0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he gives us an encouraging word titled, The Right Response to the Sign of the Times. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's say a prayer together. Father, we pray that you will uh, uh, take the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit, you'll take your word and make it real and comforting and a blessing to each listener that in turn, we might become blessings to many others. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, my message is called A Proper Response to the Signs of the Times. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to the Pharisees, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And then he went on to call the Pharisees a wicked and adulterous generation. Now, it seems safe to say that Jesus wants people to be aware of the signs of the times and have a proper response. It seems to me that we've entered a very new and dangerous time for our nation and for the world. If we are entering a new and very dangerous time, then God would want us to acknowledge that and know what time we are in. He would also want us to make an appropriate response. The appropriate response when Jesus was on the earth would have been to believe on him and become a disciple of his. I'm gonna tell you briefly why I believe we're in a new and very dangerous time. I don't wanna belabor that, but then I'm going to uh, share some appropriate responses that I believe I'm going to take and I think they'd be a blessing for you to take as well. Nine nations now have nuclear weapons. These nations are the United States, Russia, France, China, the United Kingdom, which is England, Pakistan, India, Israel, and North Korea. China has tested what's called a fractional orbital bombardment system, which uh, can launch a hypersonic glide vehicle from space to deliver a nuclear warhead at speeds of 3,836 miles per hour. Now, the United States has no defense against such a weapon. There's no missile system that could shoot it down. Uh, And so we are in an arms race now to fully develop these terrible delivery systems. Russia is developing these as well, but China is the leader so far. Here's a question. Has any nation ever developed a superior weapon and then failed to use that weapon? I don't believe history has a single example of that. Now, while this uh, recording is being made, it's about we're about two weeks into the war of Russia trying to take over the nation of Ukraine. China wants to similarly take over the island nation of Taiwan. North Korea has always wanted to uh, take over South Korea. And uh, of course, North Korea has nuclear weapons, but South Korea doesn't. Iran wants to destroy Israel. America's uh, bundled retreat or bungled retreat from Afghanistan, where we left more than $80 billion worth of weapons behind for the Taliban, has greatly emboldened uh, several very evil dictators. Now, demon spirits are real. Um, You know, Jesus cast out demons when he was on earth. Well, those demons weren't cast into hell. They're still roaming around the earth. So the evil spirits that were in Hitler or Stalin or Mao Zedong, Uh, Those men killed, you know, each about close to 50 million apiece. Anyway, those evil spirits, after they leave a dead body of a ruthless dictator, they look to possess another human and most likely have done so. And they're not logical, so you can't reason with a demon. And uh, you, if a if demon's in a dictator and you uh, threaten them with mutual destruction if they were to launch nuclear war, the demon doesn't care about mutual destruction. See, that would deter a logical human being, but it won't deter a demon. Because for an evil spirit, they uh, the more destruction, the better. So they have to be stopped by prayer. They can't be stopped by, by rockets. They have to be stopped by prayer, and they cannot be stopped by negotiation or assured mutual destruction. For now, we're suffering rapidly increasing energy costs and high inflation rates, but we should notice that Ukraine and Russia are the largest exporters of wheat. Uh, I think probably the United States is equal with them, but anyway, those are the three top exporters. So two out of three are at war, and that war will mess up the planting and the harvest, so a food crisis looms. Also, Ukraine produces one half of all the neon that's used to make computer chips in the entire world. Our government has limited our domestic production of oil and forced us to have to import some of our oil from nations that are enemies, such as Russia and Venezuela. Well, they've voted, of course, to stop uh, imports from Russia, but are talking about importing oil from Venezuela and Iran. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates have both refused to even take a phone call from President Biden. So that's never happened where a country would refuse a call from an American president. As I look down the path, I perceive great electrical shortages in our future because there's such a great push for electric cars but very few plans to make new electric power stations. And what would they what would they run on when they're trying to shut down all, you know, the fossil fuel stuff? So as I look ahead, you know, I just see uh, massive amounts of problems. Now, besides all this, we've had vaccine, what I would call, madness and mandates. Recently, I read an article by Michael Reagan, the son of President Ronald Reagan, who writes a column for Newsmax Corporation. And on March 9th of 2022, he wrote that U.S. District Judge Mark T. Pittman ruled that the Federal Drug Administration and the drug company Pfizer must release all data Relating to, uh, relating to the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, Pfizer had wanted that data suppressed for 75 years, but the judge ordered it released. So Yahoo Finance went over the data and issued a report, and they reported that there were 1,291 different adverse events following vaccination. This list includes, now I'm going to try to pronounce all these words, acute kidney injury, acute flaccid myelitis, anti-sperm, antibody positive, brain stem embolism, brain stem thrombosis, cardiac arrest, cardiac failure, cardiac ventricular thrombosis, cardiogenic shock, central nervous system vacuities, death neonato, deep vein thrombosis, encephalitis brain stem, encephalitis hemorrhagic frontal lobe epilepsy, foaming at the mouth, epileptic psychosis, facial paralysis, fetal distress syndrome, gastrointestinal amyloidosis, generalized tonic-clonic seizure, and then there's 1,246 other conditions. Now, in 1976, the swine flu vaccine was rushed to market. And uh, but 25 deaths were reported to the government's vaccine adverse events reporting system that's the abbreviated to VAERS. And so, because there were 25 deaths, the vaccine was deemed too dangerous and was pulled off the market. But this same government database lists 24,402 deaths from COVID 19 vaccinations. And I believe, and I think. There's wide acceptance to this to say that that's probably very much under-reported. But yet there's talk of requiring a fourth booster or an annual shot. And I think we should pray earnestly that God will deliver us from all forced vaccine mandates. Uh, when you look at, uh, at what uh, side effects and what can happen, it's, it's just absolutely appalling more and more people are talking about the possibility of the Third World War. And at the same time, many others are talking about a possible civil war in the United States. Well, all these signs of the times point to the coming world difficulties of which Jesus said, and if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That is, the days that uh, are close to preceding his second return, he, uh, he said, uh, or his return, he said they would be extremely dangerous and difficult. And then uh, he said, again, I'll repeat it, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, the elect means born-again believers. So, uh, apparently... Jesus believes that uh, Christians will see quite a few uh, very difficult times before uh, we're caught up to the throne, caught up to be with him in the air as he returns. Peter wrote his first epistle and started it out to God's elect, so that's clearly talking to Christians. Prudence is a form of wisdom that applies to self-management, and the Scriptures say the prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. That proverb is repeated twice, Proverbs 22.3, and then again, Proverbs 27.12. If we see great danger ahead then, and we're going to be prudent, we would uh, take some kind of refuge, we'd take some appropriate action. Now my first uh, point is that we should earnestly take God's paths to wisdom. Paul wrote, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1 he says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now, we always need God's wisdom because God's wisdom reveals God's will. And that's the very essence of faith. Faith uh, believes the revelation of God's will, and then you can receive whatever you're, you're praying for. So we should pray for God's wisdom or God's will to be revealed to us before we start asking God or before telling God how we think he should fix things. John the Apostle wrote, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him, 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. Now, how do we acquire this wisdom that will enable us to get marvelous answers to prayer even in the most dangerous times? First off, first we should go in the opposite direction of those who become fools through ingratitude to God and by not giving God glory. And we must not profess ourselves to be wise One time Jesus just rejoiced and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, Matthew 11. Now we can be childlike in that we don't profess ourselves to be wise, and we must come humbly before God and confess our need for him to reveal his will to us, lest we pray in vain. Also, we should intentionally and habitually give thanks to God and uh, determined to be way more thankful than we've ever been. Now, this gratitude to, uh, to God moves us toward his wisdom, and it's easy enough to be thankful. We just need to develop this habit. So thank God that gasoline is still available at any price. Thank God if the electricity comes on. Thank God that bread is available to buy even if the price has gone up dramatically. Thank God if you have hot water, <laughs> if the toilet flushes. Now, the prophet Daniel thanked God habitually three times a day. He, he had to set times where, you know, well, that's a, that's a habit. And we should get into the habit of thanking God. Because remember Romans 1, Paul said they didn't th- thank God or glorify him as God. And so then their mind became their hearts, their minds became dark and then they became fools. Now, what does it mean uh, glorify him as God? Well, there's various ways, but I want to talk about one way. One way is to talk about climate judgment, and that's far more dangerous than climate change. I haven't heard anybody talking about climate judgment, but I've been writing that in the Bible. As I read the Bible, I am constantly coming across verses where God is saying that uh, because of the sins of the people, he's gonna uh, make the place a wilderness uh, and, and so on and so forth. He's gonna change the climate. Well, when people are continually talking about climate change, many people are not giving God glory for being God. So they think that every drought, every flood, every earthquake, every storm is somehow happening because people fill the air with too much carbon. But if you read the scriptures, you'll see that over and over, the climate over whole regions, sometimes over whole nations, is changed because of too much sin. God does climate judgment. Uh, The biggest example is that the first world, uh, from Adam to Noah, It it was later destroyed, you know, during Noah's life, by the massive flood of water that burst up out of out of the earth. The great fountains of the deep were opened up. I won't describe that great flood, but it covered all the mountains uh, for fifteen or twenty feet, and everything that wasn't in that ark was completely destroyed. And the climate was changed. Men no longer lived 900 to nearly 1,000 years. The lifespan was reduced to about a maximum of 120 at most. Now, this happened, and it wasn't because, you see, from Adam to Noah, everybody was burning wood. (laughs) So they were releasing a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. But that wasn't why God destroyed the earth. The carbon didn't destroy the earth. The Bible says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's Genesis chapter 6. So like I said, I've started marking climate judgment every place that I find it in the Bible, and that is a way of of giving God glory because the modern world talks about uh, we've got to save the world. It's our our only home, and and, uh, I believe we should take good care of the world, but the thing that endangers the world the most is sin. It's the pollution of sin, not the pollution of carbon. Now the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in two places, Psalms 111, Proverbs chapter 9. The Bible also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1, 7. Now just imagine how foolish people become when they do not even reach the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and these type of people often become the kings of this world the leaders who oppress endanger and or kill their own people paul wrote to timothy you must continue in the things of which you've been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So scriptures make us wise. They reveal God's will. Therefore, we must continue to read the scriptures and meditate on them uh, for the purpose of having our hearts filled with faith and for the purpose of obedience. Another path path towards God's wisdom is to follow the way of love. Paul wrote this to the Philippians, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Philippians chapter 1. So the more we walk in love, the more we will abound in true knowledge of God's will and discernment regarding the best way to pray and live. If we walk in love, we'll also abound in insight, which is a form of wisdom that takes truth or knowledge from one area and sees how to apply it in other areas. I've greatly increased my own prayers for wisdom. And Paul uh, has a couple of prayers that we should memorize and pray all the time for ourselves and our families. So in uh, Ephesians chapter one, He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So we can say, oh God, give me your spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to know you. Open the eyes of my heart. Enlighten me to know the hope to which you've called me. Now, he also wrote in the first chapter to the Colossians, and he said, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those are just tremendous prayers to pray as we ask God for wisdom. And remember, the essence of wisdom is to know the will of God. It's not just to be smart in in all the knowledge of this world where computers are filled with facts. It's the, the real wisdom is to know God's will. What does God want done? Now, my second point is to, uh, because we want to respond correctly to these new times that we're in, the signs of the times and our correct response, we should pray more often and more earnestly. Now, I know that sounds extremely basic, but you see, something basic like that can have very profound effects if we will do it. Remember that only the church has authority to bind demonic powers. Jesus said, "Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." And he said that twice in Matthew 16:19 and again in Matthew 18:18. 18, 18. So we we could despair that world leaders will never do the right things. And in that kind of despair, we could believe the lie that we're helpless victims. We could absolve ourselves of our own responsibilities. But Jesus said, I'm giving you, his believers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the keys to the kingdom of heaven aren't given to the Democrats or the Republicans or the communists or the socialists or any earthly government. They're only given to obedient followers of Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit gives believers the ability to pray in the Spirit which is what we call praying in tongues. You pray your spirit prays. Your mind doesn't necessarily understand what you're saying, but your, your heart is describing how much you love God or you're praying through the mysterious answers. And the Bible says that when we pray in the spirit, we are praying in the mind and will of God. So Paul wrote, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, Be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Ephesians 6. Now, he said, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. When things have seemed overwhelming in my life and without answers, I've often found relief by laying on a couch or a bed and just praying quietly for several hours in tongues. And then I would just feel peaceful and hopeful. And sometimes I would know what the will of god was i would have prayed through to a mysterious answer and i would have the direction i'd need and this is because paul wrote that when we pray in tongues we speak directly to god and in the spirit he said we speak mysteries that means we're praying through to mysterious answers that we really could never imagine on our own and we can pray through to those mysterious answers so often We don't know what course of action to take, but after several hours of prayer in tongues, we just know what to do. We may also feel that supernatural peace or just feel better about everything. However, Spirit-filled believers have to be reminded to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now, every day is an occasion. Now, listen to this statement. We must move from occasionally praying in the Spirit to praying in the Spirit on all occasions. Paul said that he lived in constant danger of getting killed, and he also said, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, you see, this second point that I'm talking about is the point of increasing our prayers. Besides praying in the Spirit, we must pray for existing leaders. Now, Paul wrote, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now these kings and people in authority that Paul was talking about I'm usually not godly people. Most of the people in Paul's day that were kings were idolaters. Most were wicked. And yet Paul was saying to pray for them so that we could live peaceful and uh, lives, quiet and peaceful lives in godliness and, and holiness. Well, I have failed a lot of times in my life in a lot of different areas, but one mistake that I have made over and over is to stop praying for kings and those in authority when I feel that they will never obey God. Now, once I make that judgment about them, that excuses me from my responsibility to pray for them. So if I think they're stupid, they're foolish, they're bent on evil, they're never gonna pay attention, then about the only thing I pray for them is that God would remove them ASAP, you know, just as soon as possible. But no matter who gets in government authority, the responsibilities are so great, they all need people praying for them. And probably the ones that are really dumb and foolish and wicked, uh, you know, they need more prayer probably than anybody. Now, one thing we can pray for the most wicked leader is that uh, we can do what uh, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah. And he was praying about the king of Assyria that was attacking his nation, to destroy it, and God promised him that he would use his hook and his bit and turn that evil leader around and make him go back the way he came. Well, a bit is put in the mouth of a horse and you pull the reins down. That puts the bit down on the horse's tongue and makes him stop so that he doesn't go where he wants to go. But a hook is what you put in the nose of a bull and then you can make that bull go where he doesn't want to go. So when God says, I'll use my bit and my hook, it means I'll stop that guy from doing what he wants to do, and I'll make him do what he doesn't want to do. And so God still has a bit and a hook, and he knows how to use them. So let's uh, do our very best to not uh, brand somebody as a total idiot uh, that's unworthy of our prayers, Paul didn't tell us to be selective, but just to pray for everybody that's in authority. And when you realize what uh, the, the, how how easily people in authority can get people under their authority killed, we really ought to wake up and and pray much for people that are in authority. Now, King Hezekiah was uh, the king, while uh, Isaiah was the prophet, and of course. Uh, the king of Assyria was attacking them, but Hezekiah prayed that God would save his nation from destruction. And God spoke to him and said, because you prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word of which the Lord has spoken concerning him. And then that word was that God was going to uh, turn him around and that Israel, little girls in Israel would be mocking uh, that evil uh, guy. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And of course, what was left went home in shame and great fear. But remember the words of God, because you prayed to me, because you prayed to me, and then God did the great miracle. We should also pray that God will raise up leaders who fear God and therefore understand justice. Colton Wickram-Rotney, I met him a few times back in the 70s. He, he was, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but he was from Sri Lanka and he had raised the dead several times. He was a true apostle. And he used to say this little saying, he'd say, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. No power. I believe that's true. We must constantly stand guard against the subtle lie Your prayers won't make any difference. John the Apostle saw what answered prayer actually looks like, and he wrote about this in Revelation chapter 8. He said, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So I like to call that the kaboom of answered prayer. (laughs) That's exciting, isn't it? That God will mix uh, whatever that heavenly incense is uh, with our prayers and then hurl the answer to the earth and get the big kaboom, the earth-shaking effects of answered prayer. Now, notice the angel was adding incense to the prayers of all the saints. That would include every little saint, every little believer in Jesus, no matter how insignificant they may feel. Your prayers are not insignificant. Uh, See, God doesn't... respond at all to the prayers of the wicked, but some person that just loves Jesus could be just, nobody knows about him, but their prayers should be ascending up before the very throne of God, and then the answers hurled to the earth, and the kaboom of answered prayer will happen. So again, God doesn't respond just to the prayers of a prophet or an apostle. He responds to the prayers of all the saints. Now, my third strategy here for these uh, dangerous times is to earnestly seek for total intimacy with God. I've been asking God why the main leaders of nations almost always seem to be wicked people. You know, once in a while there's a godly leader, but it seems to be the exception rather than the rule. And uh, when Jesus rules and reigns on earth, those who reign with him will all be wonderful leaders. The Bible says, and this is a beautiful scripture from Isaiah 30, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. That's talking about Jesus. And princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. And, the and you know, the Bible says in Revelation 20, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, they reign on the earth. Uh, and so those are going to be the people that uh, the king will reign in righteousness. Princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind. Isn't that beautiful? A shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like a shade of a great rock in a weary land. Well, until then, the governments of the earth are often led by people who are under the influence of demons, and they aren't anything like those who will rule and reign with Christ. They aren't a hiding place from the wind. They aren't a shelter from the storm. They aren't like streams of water in a dry place, and they aren't like shade in a weary land. They're just the opposite. So if God doesn't choose to raise up leaders like this in earthly government until Jesus is on the earth, what does he do? He raises up spiritual leaders. We can despair over the leaders of the governments of the world, or we can pursue intimacy with God and become spiritual leaders ourselves who lead many to righteousness. Now, Isaiah ministered during the reign of wicked King Ahaz. And if you read about King Ahaz, he was the goofiest, wickedest. Everything he did was wrong, just totally stupid and wicked. But Isaiah was a spiritual leader right during the same time. The great prophet Elijah ministered during the reign of wicked King Ahab and his terribly wicked wife, Queen Jezebel. And he also ministered uh, during the short reign of their wicked son, Ahaziah. The prophet Elisha, with his double portion anointing, ministered during the reign of uh, Ahaziah's brother, who was the wicked king Jehoram. Jeremiah ministered during the reign of the wicked king Zedekiah. Peter and Paul ministered during the reign of the mad, demonized Caesar Nero. And of course, Jesus ministered in Galilee. Many of his miracles were done in Galilee of the Gentiles. Well, that's where King Herod was the governor, the wicked, despotic, uh, multi-murderer. Jesus called him the old fox. Well, my point is that God pours out his spirit in great abundance during times when the kings of this world are wicked. I, you know, I wish this was different. I'd prefer that God just struck those guys uh, dead. I just, you know, I'd like him just knock them off and uh, raise up some godly leaders in their place. But it just doesn't seem to be the way God operates. <laughs> he might take them out after a while. He'll give them time to repent. I do believe that he brings judgment on them. But uh, another wicked leader tends to rise in their place. So most of the time... The way I see it is that God contrasts the evil leader by raising up a good spiritual leader. Now, we'd like to have God remove the King Ahab types and give us noble leaders, but then we wouldn't have to press into God and become the contrasting force of righteousness that gets persecuted. I've published books over the years, publicity flyers, tracks, other printed materials, and, uh, and even labeling our CDs. And when we put type on something, I don't want to put black type over a dark blue background because that doesn't have good contrast. It's hard to read. So I like black type over white background or white type over dark background. And similarly, God wants contrast. So, if the leaders of this world are wicked, be sure that God wants to raise up contrasting leaders who are righteous. And Jesus made the perfect contrast to King Herod. Elijah made the perfect contrast to wicked King Ahab. In a world where the kings are likely to be controlled by Satan, God wants to raise up contrasting spiritual leaders. So we can't wait around for a new election in hopes that some sexual, not sexual, but excuse me, secular leader will make life easier. I should say that all again. We can't wait around for a new election in hopes that some secular leader will make life easier. Now I'm gonna vote in the next election to be sure. I believe every Christian desperately needs to vote. But in the meantime, I wanna press into God and receive power and more anointing uh, that he makes available by his great grace. Because, you know, if the sky is black, it makes a great contrast for the stars to shine. And in Isaiah 60, the prophet Isaiah wrote, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now that's an interesting thing, isn't it? See, God is raising up spiritual leaders who are so bright that the kings would come to the brightness of your rising. Well, In other words, we don't need to be the king to effect change. If the glory of the Lord is upon us, nations will come to our light and kings to the brightness of our rising. And then, because we have intimacy with God, we can have a joy and a peace that's completely independent of the circumstances, no matter how rough they may get. The prophet Habakkuk wrote, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Now, my fourth point is that we need to stay on mission. Jesus said, "And this gospel of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then... The end will come, Matthew 24, verse 14. Now listen carefully to what I say. We tend to forget that it's not about Christianity being one of the world's major religions. It's about the kingdom of God. The prophet Daniel uh, was given the same spiritual dream that the king of Babylon had uh, so that he could interpret that dream. And then the king knew that the interpretation was the right thing because he hadn't told Daniel the dream. Now, this interpretation was that after the Empire of Babylon, there would arise a Persian Empire, and then after that, a Grecian Empire, and then after that, the Roman Empire would arise, and that during the reign of the kings of the Roman Empire, the prophecy said, and in those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So Christianity isn't going to just be, you know, one of the many major religions of the world. It's, uh, Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and the kingdom of God is going to bring to an end all the kingdoms of the world. Now, uh, in this spiritual dream that the king of Babylon had, that Daniel interpreted, uh, this great idol had a head of gold, shoulders uh, of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and toes of iron and clay. And Daniel told the king, as you looked in this vision dream, a stone was cut out by no human hands, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, that's going to happen. The kingdom of God has been set up when Jesus came. The Romans were kings then, and he set up the kingdom that will never be destroyed, but when it's fully manifest, it will uh, destroy all the kingdoms of this world, and Jesus will reign over the whole earth with his choice followers. So our mission is to preach that Jesus is the king of kings, and here's our message. If you surrender to Jesus now before his triumphal return, he'll make you a child of God. He'll make you a joint heir with him. Uh, If you resist him and reject him, then you'll be rejected by him, and eventually you'll be thrown into the lake of fire of burning sulfur that was prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't prepare it for people. God is lovingly calling people who are his enemies to surrender, but he's not going to put them in a terrible prison camp if they surrender you know, prison camps for enemy captured enemy soldiers are notoriously terrible. But if you surrender to Jesus, he's going to make you his very own. He's going to make you his own child. And then he's going to give you his entire kingdom. But if you wait until he returns, it's going to be too late. And it's going to be too late if you die and you haven't accepted him. So We're supposed to be going and and preaching these terms of surrender. And uh, the good news is that if you surrender, uh, you're going to be treated so marvelously. And he's prepared a great, uh, wonderful paradise uh, for his followers that is beyond anything the natural mind can grasp in its beauty and awesomeness. So in the last great revival and spiritual harvest, the preachers are going to be preaching the kingdom of God and the governments of this world you see are are uh, not too long from now i don't know how long but not too terrible long will be destroyed and replaced so we say surrender to the king of kings now while you can accept his gracious offer that's our mission and we need to stay on mission the apostle paul wrote to his spiritual son Timothy, and basically admonished him to stay on mission. So he said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead. That's how important Jesus is. He's not just a teacher. He's judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Paul stayed on mission. And now he was admonishing Timothy to do the same. Jesus admonished his followers to stay on mission when he said, Who is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and Drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Another translation says, with the hypocrites. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not deserve a beating will receive a light beating. Every one to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Well, that means that's a pride buster scripture. To whom much is given, much is required. Now, Jesus himself stayed on mission. He said, go tell that fox, meaning King Herod. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. At the Last Supper, he said, I have brought you glory. He was talking to the Father. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Right after that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then, at the very last on the cross, when the mission was fully accomplished, he said, It is finished, and gave up his spirit. While I'm saying to stay on mission, we need to ask ourselves if we're really on mission in the first place. Now, many Christians just live their lives without ever being on mission. Jesus told us all as believers, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's not just said to to a few full-time pastors. That's to the whole body of Christ. Each of us should, should say, boy, I, d- I need to get on mission. <laughs> now, before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age, Matthew chapter 28. So we're coming to the climactic end of the age with its wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and various places. And we're coming to the end of the age about which Jesus said there will be signs in sun, moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh." Now, if we want Jesus to be with us to the very end of the age, we need to be qualifying for that by going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded us. Because being on mission means Jesus will be with us always. You know, we prepared three different kinds of, of soul winning tracks, and we sell them at printing costs. So recently I had uh, someone uh, call me and donate $85 so I could send 600 tracks out. I sent 300 to one prison for women, 300 to another prison for men. Uh, another person had uh, donated uh, 42 50. Uh, which provided 300 tracks for an earlier prison. I'm just hoping that more and more people would do that. See, I would like you to join the mission of, uh, of winning the world to Christ. Become a sponsor for putting our 21 Ways to Forgive books into the prison system. And then, uh, you know, get involved locally wherever you are. Now, my fifth point, and I'll say it uh, pretty quickly, but increase your deeds of compassion so we need to be helping the people that are uh, evacuating Ukraine. Uh, there's various different mission organizations, uh, and choose them carefully, but uh, Franklin Graham's uh, Samaritan Purse would be an example. And uh, so Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the, in the darkness of this evil world, we must do deeds of compassion that will shine like a light... Of love in the darkness so no matter how dark it gets we need to be doing those deeds of love so what we do for the weary the lonely the broken the hungry the homeless the refugees the victims of war Jesus takes these things personally as if we're doing them just for him and you can read that in Matthew chapter 25 well we wish it wasn't so dark but why waste time lamenting the darkness why not light your lamp (laughs) and uh, do those good deeds inspired by the Holy Spirit that really help people. My sixth point is look through it, to it. You gotta look through the coming difficulties to the glories that are coming beyond that. Now, all the prophets in the Bible were shown scary judgments that were coming first, but then they were shown God's glorious plans of restoration and blessing that would come after. And they could get through because they were looking to that coming glory. So an example is, Jesus says, when these things begin to take place, all these tumultuous events, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption's drawing nigh, Luke chapter 21. You know, back in Genesis, Abraham, was called the father of faith. He got through the difficulties of his life because the Bible says he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, Hebrews chapter 11. And then the apostle Peter, who had to get through all kinds of trials, said in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Well, we need to do that no matter how rough things are, we can look through those things to the eternal glory, the glorious things that are coming. Now, my seventh point, remember that nothing is impossible with God. This last month, I had the joy of ministering down in the Umpqua Valley First Assembly of God, and their uh, interim pastors, Pastor Dave and his wife Nancy, took me out to lunch afterwards, and we had the most fun... uh, Telling miracle stories. We could hardly eat our lunch. I'd tell one story, they'd tell one story, and we'd just go back and forth. And uh, they told me one of the neatest miracle stories I have ever heard. So uh, several years ago, they were going on a ministry trip through eastern Oregon, which is very desolate and dry. And it was a year of great drought, and their radiator overheated, and they lost almost all of the fluid in their radiator. So they desperately needed some water so they could continue on their trip, but no one would give them any, not even a restaurant. There was such a water shortage. So they tried to get water from a farmhouse. Nobody was home. They thought they could get some out of a spigot from the yard, but it had a padlock on it. (laughs) And so finally, uh, Dave took the thermostat... Out of the radiator because it wasn't working right and uh, then there was hardly any water left in the radiator but the, all they could do was pray and ask God to help them and they started to drive without putting anything in the radiator but they prayed and asked God to help them and started to drive now the temperature gauge stayed cool and finally uh, David just thought well wow, seems to be working and he turned on the air conditioner and they got safely several hundred miles to their destination So then he went to loosen the radiator cap, and when he loosened it, out of it oozed a beautiful color of antifreeze type coolant, and it was just oozing out. And so he tightened it back down again, and then uh, later he said he got a new thermostat, and he had to drain the radiator uh, to put in the new thermostat. And uh, something like five gallons of that beautiful antifreeze type coolant came out but his radiator would only hold about 3 gallons <laughs> so more of this supernaturally god created uh, antifreeze came out than could have been held in the radiator so it just multiplied as it came out well he put in the new thermostat put the, the as much antifreeze of that uh, created antifreeze as he needed back in the radiator, and he's, then, he, I forget the very end of the story, but it went on for several years. He, uh, he didn't have to add any more. Well, that was just a marvelous story. And, you know, uh, we want to tell each other miracle stories just to remind us that, uh, hey, God is with us. Everything's possible with God. Nothing is impossible. So we don't fear. We just expect that in the midst of problems, God's going to make a way. God's going to turn uh, the water into wine. He makes water come from a rock. In one case, uh, he made fire spring out of a rock. Uh, And uh, He can create coolant for a radiator out of absolutely nothing and then make it multiply when it's drained out. He's an amazing God, and He's our God, and He answers our prayers. So the Bible says in Psalms 50, Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. That's beautiful, isn't it? And then Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So here's my conclusion. Jesus said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So he doesn't want us to get alarmed at the biggest of external problems. He does want us to get alarmed if we have internal sin, then we're supposed to repent. So... Such things are coming, but we must not be alarmed. Rather, we must seek God's wisdom and then pray according to the revealed will of God so that the kaboom of answered prayers affects the world. We must seek the anointing of God that will make us spiritual leaders against the contrast of the wicked rulers of this world. And great end-time anointings are going to be released from heaven, and they are being released right now. You can make yourself available to be used of God. We must stay on mission. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we must never allow our love to grow cold. Ask God to increase your love. Ask God to let you feel what he feels for people. Ask God to enable you to help many people in practical ways that bring help and comfort. And uh, that way we increase our our love for God, our love for people, so that our lights of love shine brightly in the darkness and causes others to glorify God. Look forward to the glories of the kingdom of God being fully manifest and to the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, (laughs) nothing but righteousness. And finally, remember that all things are possible with God and absolutely nothing is impossible for those who believe. The greatest problems mixed with the grace of God become the greatest miracles. Well, consider the signs of the times and choose your very best responses. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485 Cresswell Oregon 97426.